This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Alex. And together we're FNA Van Life. We have been in Wickensburg, Arizona for the last week or so doing a little bit of remodeling and renovation on Olive. And we were lucky enough to spend the time here at Carefree Camper Company. Yeah, Carefree Camper Company has been awesome to us. They're looking to jump into the DIY field, so you can always reach out to them and see if there's a possibility you can come and build your own rig. But the even better part is that they build rigs custom for you. So if you're interested in getting a rig built, these guys are awesome. They're easy to work with, and we've absolutely loved our time uh, here at Carefree Campers. Right now we have Blackhawk with us. He's an awesome person, and we're going to dive into Carefree Camper, why he got it started, who he is, what he's all about. So we're going to get to know him in this podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? Blackhawk Jones here, 24 years old. I originally grew up by West Yellowstone, Montana. My parents moved me over into the middle of North Dakota when I was 10. And yes, it wasn't as beautiful as Montana, but it, it did some good things for me in life. Uh, after that, I uh, left and met my wife Maddie in North Dakota. We spent three years there, and then that's when everything kind of started falling in place to essentially start the van life. Yeah, so you guys built your first van, right? So that's kind of how you got into the building of vans. So do you want to explain, you know, why you decided to build a van instead of maybe like buying an RV or something like that? And how was the process of like actually building your first van? Yeah, so it was actually a two-year timeline. So we were just on YouTube one night, and it all started with uh, Combi Life and the, him going from Chile to Alaska, and then it started over to Eamon and Beck, and then Trent and Allie, and then just the whirlwind of van life, um, and then just checking out you know every single one that was built and how cool and unique they are. And then about two weeks later, I was at work, not working, looking at vans to buy, and I found this sweet black transit, and it had two doors, two sliding doors, so on the driver and passenger side. So I took a screenshot, and I texted it to Maddie, um, and then Maddie texted me back. She's like, that's weird, because look what I was just looking at, and it was the exact same van for sale. Whoa. So then the next day, I called in sick to work. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sick. I can't come <laughs> in. Um, and we drove seven hours to south of Minneapolis to pick up this van. It was funny, too, because I had a sports car at the time, and I was like, I'll just trade the sports car in on it. And the salesperson was like, I've never had somebody trading in a Subaru BRZ on a huge cargo van. And then he's like, what are you going to do with it? Is it for work? I was like, no, we're going to turn it into a home. And he's like, and he's probably about 60 years old, so it just... Huh? Didn't yeah. register at all, right? Well, and I feel like back then, too, van life wasn't quite as, like, big and popular as it is now. Mm -hmm. Like, even now, people don't know what van life is. But back then, especially, 
it would have been like, you're going to turn this truck into what? Yeah, yeah he, was, he was like, you hippie kids. <laughs> that's, that's what he was thinking. Um, but no, we drove it home and then just started the whole process of watching more videos. <laughs> that was like the loudest sneeze of ever. Yeah, Paco's underneath the, he always gets involved in the podcast, so the listeners know it's Paco. But no, we just sat there and just started um, doing drawings and blueprints and working on layouts and then slowly purchasing things as we could. We purchased the fans, we installed the fans, and it was funny because the first time I installed a fan in my own van, I was freaking out. It took me about six hours. Uh, now I can put one in in about 30 minutes, yeah. uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm doing a better job now than I did on my first one. For sure. Practice makes perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um so we did that, we put some windows in, and then actually the next summer, the summer of 2019, we put in a bed uh, in the back, some two-by-fours and a piece of plywood, and then we took our mattress out of our apartment into the back of the van, um, and then traveled down to South Dakota into the Black, into the Black Hills for Maddie's family reunion. Uh, her whole family thought we were crazy, you know, you're sleeping in this black cargo van with a bed and a cooler. <laughs> Um, so we did that, uh, funny story aside from that though, is, so we threw in this makeshift bed platform and we're like, you know, we're so excited that we weren't even supposed to leave for another like day and a half, but we're like, hell yeah, let's just go somewhere and sleep there for the night. So we get in the van, we take off and the first red light that we come to, the bed slides off because it's a couple two by fours and then there was a piece of plywood on top to support the bed. The bed comes rocketing off the two by fours, hits the front of the front seats, and then the first thing, where's the dogs? Where's Lilo and Stitch? Oh no! Oh god! You know, is there a decapitation? Yeah, is there a decapitation? Like, what's going on? And then next thing you know, they pop up over the back of the bed, and (laughs) so then we had to pull over on the side of the highway and pick the bed bed up. Go grab some bungee straps, and mm-hmm. and then we lived and we learned on that oh one. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing about van life is everybody that's out there building their van for the first time is learning as they're building it, you know. Um, and, you know, I was the same way. Cutting in that first van on the first van was, like, six hours long. I was scared to cut in. You know, I think everybody goes through that, so don't feel like that you're alone if you're out there building your rig right now. We, we all go through it and know that, you will be successful with it. It's just a matter of just going through it, you know? Well, yeah. and also, we did, like, a little trip, too, when our van was, like, half converted. Like, we had a plywood floor, and, like, I think we'd had, we like, had the plywood, plywood walls. walls. We had electrical going where we could plug in the refrigerator, and we had the bed set up. But the difference with our bed is we had, like, a little gap that it could fall into so it couldn't slide forward. <laughs> you know, I, I thought about that, at least. But I did have, like, these iron, uh, they were just, like, these single iron, like, uh, uh, flat brackets. They weren't L brackets. They were just flat. And they were so, like, floppy that when we laid in the bed, you felt the whole middle of the bed kind of smush down a little bit. So it was awkward. And it was a little scary. But it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just a matter of, like, you know, re-securing it to be where the bed doesn't sink in or sag in the middle. But it was a super fun experience because, like, you know, you've been dreaming about this van for a while and now it's, like, your first night in the van and, like, yeah, it's not done, but 
it's still, it was like a super fun road trip. Oh, well, it was. To like amazing. stay in that van. We did walk in Glen Falls in New York. Oh, no. And then we, we went and visited did a, a bunch of family in Canada. And then we went out to the family in Canada. It was a really amazing experience. And we learned all the things that we wanted to change and make sure that we had uh, when, when we were going to get into the van. Yeah, it gave a us a better months. idea of it for sure. Yeah. But okay, so you take your trip to see your family in the not all the way converted van and they think you're crazy. So what happened next? So then came back, we put some windows in it, um, which was even worse because now we're cutting in, you know, holes that are seen by people. So that took, you know, eight hours per window uh, and we had six windows in our van. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, a whole month project. But then we actually went out to Montana, uh, down by West Yellowstone where I grew up. Got to stay there for a week. Uh, didn't really use the van as like traveling. Got to borrow a vehicle from somebody. Um, but it was just super nice to have everything, you know, secure in one spot. And then it was super easy just to take off driving one day. And then when it was ready to, you know, either take a nap or rest, pull over. You know, we didn't have a lot, but to have a cooler and food and everything just right there with you, we're like, wow, why does everybody not travel like this? It's mm-hmm. way better than a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then uh, that was the summer of 2019. So then we were, you know, kind of rolling everything into how are we going to build the van? Because we're going to need a lot more time to do so. As well as are we getting to that point in our life where we have enough saved up and we can kind of, you know, do this full time. Because honestly, we didn't even like think about the full-time aspect of it, uh, or think about the part-time aspect of it. It was just, you know, all in or or not, like we're going to be traveling full-time in it. Also, the one thing you brought up, like why we did this besides an RV, we've had a couple times where we had the pros and cons list of building a van or buying an RV. We even went to the dealership to look at RVs, class eight, huge 40-foot Class A's, travel trailers, small RVs, all that. Um, and it's just, sorry Winnebago, but they're all just built so poorly. And we're just like, oh, and it's a camper in the inside. Like, it doesn't feel like home at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you could ever make one feel like home unless you completely redo it like some people do. But so we went through that whole phase and you know, through the whole phase of like, is it really worth it? Because it's going to be a lot of time and effort you put into this thing. You know, is it going to be worth it? Or is it just going to be something that we do for a couple months, not enjoy it and, you know, sell it? Or what are we going to do? But uh, the whole winter of 2019, where, you know, we're like, hey, you know, March, April is going to be the the time that we're going to sell everything, we're going to move on. Um, so then, uh, it worked out perfectly because in February 2020, I actually sold my contracting business. Maddie quit her job as a CNA. And about two weeks later, we were at our parents' house uh, working on a couple little projects uh, before we took off to Montana to build a van and COVID hit. Everything locked down, you know, everything went crazy. And it was just such good timing to where if we waited another month, another two months, another two weeks, you know, what would have... You, you wouldn't know. have been able to sell your business probably. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that that was like a really interesting time, I think, yeah. for everybody. But so now you've already got the van built, right? No. So now we're sitting at her parents' house in the North... So winter in North Dakota is about nine months long. Yeah, and uh, cold. In mm-hmm. cold. 
And so our whole game plan was uh, my family had a cabin out in Montana that they were planning on selling, uh, but they were going to keep it one more summer. So we were going to go out there for one last summer, enjoy the cabin, enjoy where me and Matt really like to go in southern Montana there. Uh, but the road to the cabin is only seasonal. It's only open from supposedly April 15th to October 15th. Mm-hmm. So we had to kill about a month. As well as we had planned flying out to Hawaii as our honeymoon that was supposed to happen three years ago. And, um, well, we all know that that never Didn't happened. Happen. <laughs> uh, so... And I'm pretty sure we spent like eight hours on the phone with Delta trying to get tickets refunded. And, oh, no, we can't do that. Don't worry. The pandemic will only be two weeks. Yeah. And we'll get you back on we a can flight. We can delay your flight. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and they, they weren't canceling the flights at that time. But they started doing lockdowns like in California and stuff like that where they're locking people down and you couldn't go outside and things like that. And we're like... If we get locked down in Hawaii, there could be worse places you could get locked down at. Um, but then uh, about a month later, we were reading like horror stories of how people got locked in the hotels and couldn't leave mm. and, you know, didn't have food and stuff like that. Or I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it was a good thing. Yeah. But so for a whole month and a half, we stayed at her parents'. You know, God bless her parents. I love them. Uh, but it was a cramped house with that many people and two dogs. Mm. So I slowly started doing stuff to the outside of the van, uh, putting the roof rack on, things like that. But then we, April 15th came, we thought the road was going to be open to get to the cabin, get everything unpacked, start building the van. So we drive, you know, two days across Montana, which, you know, even Montana in April is all sorts of weather conditions. Mm -hmm. Show up to the cabin, the road is still snowed in. Uh, yeah, it was a big snow year that year. Major, like four or five foot drifts. Yeah. Um, so then we're like, well, shoot. So then we went into West Yellowstone there. We got a hotel. It's crazy. Hotels on the off season are like 35 bucks a night. That's amazing. Uh, but nothing else was open. Right. Yeah. No restaurants. The grocery store is open. Yeah. Nothing else. Uh, and then there was nobody there, which was really weird because we were there the year prior and there's mobbed thousands and thousands of people. Well, there's lots of snowmobiling in Yellowstone in the winter, so you have a lot of people like traveling there for winter in Yellowstone. Yeah. Well, and it was such it was such a weird period too because it was right between like the snow melt, so it was right between the off season of snowmobiling and the off season of the park. Yeah. Um, so the only person that was there was us. And, like, the front desk lady. Yeah. And, and the guy working in the grocery store. Yeah, and the gas station attendant. And there was no traffic. It was like a ghost town. Uh, it was like a ghost town. It was crazy. Yeah, so we stayed in the hotel for four or five days. And then we're like, well, this is getting expensive. So then we <laughs> we were, went and then uh, the road finally opened up. So we were able, finally able to get up to the cabin how far we got was not very far with the van. We were able to get the van kind of close, but then we just had to drive our Jeep up to the cabin for the next week or so. So we, we didn't even get to start the, the van until about May. Wow. But uh, At least you had the Jeep to be yeah, able to like to get commute, back and forth on the road and probably even get like... Get product. Yeah, like when you were building it, you didn't have to drive the... Was it the Sprinter? Uh, no, it was a transit. Transit. Like, so you didn't have to drive the transit, like, to the hardware store and back, like we did both times. So you could actually <laughs> just take the Jeep and, like, go get what you needed. 
Yeah, and that was that was a big thing that we looked at the in the design process of our van was having some type of secondary vehicle in case of emergencies, you know, because the one thing we thought of from day one was when you have camp set up, have your chairs out, you know, everything, the awning out, you're, you know, set, and then you need want to go run in to get dinner or something, all that, you know, you either have to trust people a lot mm-hmm. or everything has to get packed up and put back into the van, brought, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we looked at first at, like, doing motorcycles, like a Honda Grom or something like that in the back. Um, but we had dogs, so then, you know, that's not going to work out. And then, yeah, we looked into what kind of vehicles you could tow behind, you know, a van like that. And we got a four-door Jeep Wrangler, which... in hot tow. And we could just flat tow it, have a tow bar, just like a big RV does. Um, and the Transit is capable of towing that weight, but probably not towing that weight and having like 5,000 pounds of camper conversion on the inside. Uh, so any, you know, anybody listening out there that is thinking about towing a vehicle behind the van, it's not a very good idea uh, because we were getting passed on the mountain passes by loaded semis. Yeah. And even that's scary because yeah. they're honking at you because they're pissed because, you know, that's their lane and you're taking it up. Yeah. So it's just like you have no get up and go, like the van just chugs along. And you can you you can get up to 70 and, and, you know, fly down the highway, no problem. And then the thing stays right behind you and it's it's relatively easy. It's just those um, uphills, like the 13% grades when you're going up those passes. Go, yeah, going through Montana was hard. We went through Nevada and like in a Great Basin when you drop down into as a baker there. Yeah. Um, those were pretty bad. So we would get like... Are you loving our podcast? Well, we have a way for you to get one more a month. By joining our Patreon community, you get exclusive access to a one-hour podcast ad-free every single month that does a deep dive into what it's really like to live on the road. Depending on which tier you select, you could even get free merchandise. Check out the link below and join the Patreon community today. You also get access to tons of behind-the-scenes content from our YouTube channel, too. Now back to the podcast. When we would see the mountain coming, we'd, you know, start getting up to about 85, 90 miles an hour. Uh, and then we, we coast as much as you can. We hit the mountain. And then by the time we get, you know, to the top, we're going about 20. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, then you think about the aspect of coming down it, too, as well. I'm <laughs> sure you have some type of brake assist that the vehicle is also breaking behind you. But talk about extra weight. And now you're putting more pressure on your front brakes in the van. And you're probably going to burn through your brakes a lot faster, if not need to upgrade to some type of heavy brake system. And that's the thing is we did have like an auxiliary brake system in the Jeep to where we could use the Jeep to brake itself. Um, But there's always that worry in your mind, like, please, God, be working today. And, you know, what kind of wear and tear is this happening on the van? Yeah. Um, At the end of the day, if somebody is worried about having that second vehicle go into something super small like a smart car or something like that um even like an older jeep wrangler when they get way down there and weight to 2500 3000 pounds mm-hmm. um, but find other other means um it, it's a difficult thing yeah because because that was one reason why was a big con of ours with the van was we couldn't tow anything yeah so you finish building out the van. You're towing this vehicle behind it. How long does van life last for you this in this type of manner? 
Yeah, so we, I think, fully moved into the van early October, which was, we were planning on August, but we all know yeah, it's construction and never goes well. <laughs> but so we started traveling about early October. Uh, we went over to northern Montana to see Maddie's brother and his family. He was in Cut Bank. It's on the other side of Glacier there, on the unpretty side of, of uh, the mountains. <sighs> Uh, have you ever been over? No, I don't think oh, so. Which, which spot was this? C- uh, Cut Bank. Cut, Cut Bank, Bank and Browning. So if you go across from Kalispell through the mountain, yeah. it's there, the little towns on the other side. Huh. Uh, gotcha. Like I feel we're... like I remember Cutbell. Cut Bank. They have a big, it has a big penguin outside uh, when you huh. come into town. I don't remember it, seeing it then. Because so it's, it's, it. it's the coldest place in the world. Whoa, what? that's wild. <laughs> That can't be true. Well, it gets the lowest temperature, probably, like, because of the valley that it might be in or whatever. I don't know. It's interesting. It's not a very pretty place. Yeah. Like, and they definitely don't have real penguins. No. No. Wheat <laughs> fields and hillbillies. Yeah, yeah cool, so. cool. But So we went there, and then uh, we stayed a little bit too long because we woke up one day, and there's six inches of snow on the ground. And we're like, okay, it's time to move on. So then we kind of had to skip down through Montana quickly. We've, we spent a lot of time in Montana, so we've seen everything from West Yellowstone to Glacier, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we were trying to skip down to find some warmer weather, as well as the one thing I never thought of was getting water. So we had a stationary water tank in the van, so we had to find some place to be able to get the van to to fill it up. All the things, all the gas station fills were closed, the RV parks were closed, everything was closed, so we didn't have water uh, for two or three days trying to get through Montana, and that was a big, I was like, oh, wow, we need, uh, you know, a second way to get water. Yeah. Winter van life is tricky in that way, yeah. especially if you're in cold places, because everybody winterizes their hoses, yeah. so nothing is, like, available, so either, we were, like, we lucked out. We were fortunate enough to never have times. an issue with it. We, that a and couple times Yellow we've Star. had to, like, check multiple different places. Like, you go on Ioverlander or whatever, and it's like, go here. That's not open. Go here. That's not open. West Yellowstone was our hardest spot. And we yeah. wound up finding it behind a gas station that has a winterized spigot that, like, drains back down. Oh, so they leave know. theirs on all year round. And then recently we've noticed that a lot of RV parks, even though, like, up in, I think it was, like, Alberta or something like that. I can't remember where we were, we but called. I called. And they were like, oh, like, we're closed. But, like, but we'll fill up your but if you want to come and get water, like, you can swing by. Because I guess the owners, like, live there uh, year-round kind of thing. So even though the park is closed, they You they might be open. able to find somebody to yeah. help. But, yeah, it becomes a very difficult task. And that's that's one thing I, you know, I use that knowledge and that, that learning experience to tell other van lifers, even the new van lifers, even, you know, to bring, you know, some type of water jug, a collapsible one or a plastic one, stuff like that, to be able to, uh, you know, go into Walmart and fill up the water at the water station to fill up your van just to get you through. Because mm-hmm. uh, those couple days were stressful because I was like, God, am I not good at this? Or what am I not, what am I not seeing? Um, but so then we got into Idaho, got into warmer weather. Um, we saw Craters of the Moon. That nice. was That was amazing. Yeah, Never saw cool. that before. Uh went into Twin Falls, Idaho, and got to stand on the ramp that Evil Knievel jumped the river on, or tried to. Uh, Watched some guys base jump off the big bridge there, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, right between the two waterfalls. Yeah. Um, 
did a little bit of Idaho, uh, found out there's nothing in Nevada at all <laughs> besides, you know, Las Vegas, Las Vegas and Reno, a couple of lakes like, uh, <laughs> that are kind of dried up. <laughs> and that's because we, we drove through, uh, what, like Wells and then we're, I, I didn't know the salt flats were on that side of Utah, so I was like, hey, we should go look, you know, I've seen all these videos of the salt flats, you know, Casey Neistat being out there and making mm-hmm. his famous sunglasses with the salt. So we drove over there, and it was crazy just how barren and flat Nevada is, and then when you're driving, and it's like, state prison, don't pick, don't pick up hitchhikers, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, what in the hell? Where am I? <laughs> but, so, uh... Skipped into Utah a little bit, uh, for some stupid reason, came back in Nevada and <laughs> drove south towards um, Vegas in Nevada, and there's still nothing. So then we got about, um, got to look at the map here at Nevada. You have like Lake Mead in that area. Yeah, so that's when we actually hit up Great Basin, because we're probably thinking like, if we're already pretty close to this national park, let's like check it off the bucket list and mm-hmm. move on because we're probably never coming back to this mm-hmm. part of the state ever. Was so, that one of your goals to get to all the national parks or just like whatever you were near? And, and see them and stuff. Uh, because also, you know, like uh, we had a book that we bought that we were like highlighting all the roads that we were on and all cool. the places we stayed and stuff like that. And it was a national park special book. So it had all the national parks. Sweet. So it would, you know, it would pop up Nevada, and then behind Nevada would be Great Basin, and you'd look at all these beautiful photos of July and August, and you know, National Geographic taking these beautiful photos, and it was a great park. We showed up. We actually camped inside the park. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the few national parks. Have you guys ever been mm-hmm. to? Not Great Basin. It's one of the few parks that don't have an uh, missions fee. Cool. Uh, so I, I believe it's all donation-based. Mm. Uh, but you can go into the campground. you got to pay to stay in the campground, but the campground's beautiful. It's right at the base of the mountain. Got a big river coming down the mountain. Stayed there. Got to drive up to the top. Uh, there's actually a really cool hike to the summit, big spline that you can walk up and cool. stuff like that. Um, but it was about a 20-minute drive, and then that was about it. <laughs> yeah, so it was one of those things, like, for us, it was like, hey, we saw, we came, we did. yeah. You know, on Made it to the and, top, bought the pin, yeah. and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were, we went in, and um, I was wondering, like, my big question was, I supposed to pay somebody? Because all the other national parks we ever been to, we had to pay for admission. So I went in, and the park ranger was there. I was like, is I supposed to pay? She's like, no, it's all free. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, That's neat. I was, and then I asked her, like, why is that? Like, when, and it was just, uh, I think it was the state that came up with that. Cool. Uh, the state of Nevada just wanted that park to be free or if it was in the government i don't know i should have listened better yeah just giving everybody an equal opportunity to visit a national park i guess and maybe get them into you know want to visit more of them because then you could buy like the yearly parks pass and then it's like 80 bucks and you can visit them all instead of paying like 25 or 35 at each one so i think it's like one of those like stepping stones of like i might be interested in getting into more of this stuff oh no well and and like Baker, Nevada, the little town by there, there's not a lot there. So I think people who are like truly coming to Great Basin are coming for the national park. I don't think there's, you know, I was just driving by and happened to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, they have a really cool visitor center. It's really nice, clean, got the story on the mountain, stuff like that. But uh, we got out of there. Uh, that was probably early November, mid-November. 
um, hit Lake Mead, uh, found out, you know, what Lake Mead is all about, and the cool awesomeness, and the crazies, yeah. and all that, um, I think that was the first time we actually had, um, that we saw, like, multiple vans, multiple RVers, and kind of were all on, you know, in this spot, as well as the people that, you know, lived out of their cars, uh, you know, God bless them and their situation that they're in. The one that stuck with me, though, was this guy came up to me. He's like, hey, my car doesn't start. Like, can you help me out? I was like, yeah, I can help you out. He, I was like, which one's your car? There's about 500 cars on the side of the bank here. He's like, oh, it's that white one down there. And I look down, and there's this old white Impala, and he has a mattress strapped to the top of his roof. Uh-huh. He's got a tent that is flattened, and he has probably his whole life just laying in the dirt around his car. I was like, okay, I'll be down there in a little bit and help you jump your car. I jumped it, and then he just got in the car, left his tent, left everything there. Wow. Took off, and then everything stayed there for the other two days that... And he never came back? Never saw him, nothing. We he left. might have later on, but who knows? <laughs> we left two days later, and then I was like, oh, wow. Like That's when we kind of figured out we don't like camping next to people. Yeah, like, yeah. We're going to go find some someplace secluded and away from everybody. But... Uh, went and did Vegas. That was cool. Um, you know, one of those things, like, thank God we did have the Jeep with us and a second vehicle because driving our van down the strip, even though it was, uh, end of 2020 and, you know, the pandemic was still kind of going on, there was still mass amount of people and traffic and stuff like that. So did that, went and did the Grand Canyon, stayed in the national park, Northern Arizona, Flagstaff. And then we got into Sedona, which we really love Sedona. We're staying on the 525 road. Uh, and when you take the right instead of the left at the, the fork there, and you mm-hmm. get up right next to the Red Rocks. We're staying there for about a week and a half. And that's when kind of, you know, we, we were only in this thing for about two and a half months at that point when we were like, one thing I overlooked. So we spent two years engineering, essentially, this perfect van. <laughs> I didn't make the bed big enough. Yeah, yeah. The bed was not big enough for me. We didn't, Like height-wise? Well, so you didn't probably didn't account for your pillow and your head? And that when you... <laughs> to truly be comfortable when you sleep, you got to be able to stretch your feet out. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought you could just measure, you know... Yeah, you're like, I'm six foot, and that's it, you know? Well, but, like, if you point your toes and you have, like, four inches of pillow on top of your head, you become a lot taller. And that's, you know, we, we did the bump outs in the walls. We tried to get as much as we could. But for the last probably two, three weeks, last month, I was not having fun sleeping in it. Mm-hmm. And it was starting to affect my happiness mm-hmm. and just my, you know, when you can't sleep well, it really affects you the next day. Totally. And it was just slowly snowballing into a bigger issue. Of course. Uh, so it was one of those things like, I can't believe we just spent you know, essentially two and a half years designing and building this thing to, you know, have this happen. And yes, like, I would sleep sideways, which then would force Maddie to sleep sideways. Uh So then I was fine, but then she would be pissed because she would have less of the bed to sleep on, and nobody likes to sleep sideways in bed. Um, So then we're sitting there talking and everything, and we're like, oh God, what do we do now? Like, this is an issue, a big issue. And uh, that's when we started talking about building other things out, like another van or a truck or something like that. And then 
Staten's the donor a couple weeks, and then we're pretty close to Wickenburg here, which one of Maddie's close friends lived uh, that we knew up from North Dakota. And we're like, oh, okay, we'll go down here and see her, say hi, stuff like that. So we came down, uh, started visiting. We were about a weekend when we were driving around town and stuff, and I was like, oh, wow, this is you know a really nice town. I like it. It, it reminds us of Southern Montana and the mountains and everything, but it's uh, a lot warmer. It's middle of January and still 65 degrees, which yeah. was mind-blowing. Uh, I never knew a place like that existed in the world. Yeah. So, And you were like, at that point, you're like, fuck the snow. And that's why I was like, well, you know, we could definitely snowbird down here and stuff like that. Um, so then we ended up staying a little bit longer. And we then we seriously talked about, okay, what are we doing with the van? Because even staying stationary, parked in somebody's yard the bed still sucked, mm-hmm. and it was really killing me. So then we decided to actually sell the van, and we bought a huge truck, a Chevy 5500 truck, that we were going to build into an expedition truck. Nice. So our van life was pretty short-lived in the, in the full-time traveling type department mm-hmm. to about three and a half months. Uh, we saw a lot. We learned a lot about van life. You learn a lot in that first month, mm-hmm. as well as you learn your biggest mistakes in life. And <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Maddie still does not uh, forgive me for that. And uh, and then um, you know we still think about like if we designed that better, like where would be where would we be right now? Yeah, it'd be crazy to think you know where we'd be. Yeah, it's amazing how much like a small design flaw in your rig could impact your lifestyle in the rig. It's also one of those things where it's like, do you just deal with it and keep going? And if it is cutting into your happiness, the answer should always be no. But if it's not cutting into your happiness, I think that you might have been in a different situation with the the feeling about it all. But then it seems like you guys turned a path and turned a corner that was... Still van life related, but it was more building out vehicles for other people after realizing these mistakes that you made in your own right, right? So now you're going to build other people's van life dreams by creating carefree campers. Completely. You know, we looked and made sure we had a place for our trash, our laundry, our, you know, soap and conditioner and stuff like that. We had all these little aspects planned out, but not like truly how do you sleep at night and what's comfortable. The other thing that we did that was a big mistake is we thought we were mountain bikers. You know, <laughs> van lifers, got to be mountain bikers, got to have mountain bikes in the back of the van, you know. So we essentially built the bed height around ma- having mountain bikes in the back. So the, the, <laughs> the bed was so high that we had to use a four-and-a-half-inch thick mattress, and that was bad on mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. To where, you know, I would roll over and my elbow would go all the way through and hit the bed slab. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's no good. How much room did you have to like the like? Could you sit up fully in bed? And that was that was the big factor. Was Maddie wanted to be able to sit up in the middle of bed and not hit her head on the ceiling? Yeah. And it was you know an inch or so of clearance. And that's yeah. super close. Like we did sim- similar things in our first build. <laughs> we built the bed higher because we wanted to fit the bikes underneath it. Not that we thought that we were mountain bikers, but we we're like these will be handy to have and we'll love having them. <laughs> and yeah, we barely even use them. And then so we actually wound up getting a bike rack for the back and put it on the bike rack. 
and then wound up dragging the bike several times <laughs> because we weren't having bikers that we didn't care as much as we should have probably. Well, and the bike rack we bought was like a cheap one that like eighty bucks. Yeah, so like if we had the swing out that was like a thousand dollars, maybe it would have been bikes. better. But anyways, you just you know you live and you learn. And when we built our second van, we did not care about bicycles yeah. at all. So this brings us to like now you're building these vehicles, right? Well, you, I guess no. Well, we're in Wickensburg. Oh, we're in Wickensburg. And you decided you're going to sell your van. So how does that turn into starting a camper company? Yeah, so we're here. We find uh, this kid out of Cooley Dam, Washington. I've never even heard of that place before. And we have been stuck here now for about two and a half months, sleeping in our friend's backyard, trying to figure out our next step in life. So we needed a road trip. Everybody, at that point, you need a road trip. So we drove this thing all the way up to Cooley Dam, Washington. We met up with Robert. He was a super nice guy. He lost his mom to COVID in 2020. And one of her biggest dreams in life was to live the van life, get a camper van and travel and see all the states. And so he was gonna make that you know, come true for her. And he's like, I saw this thing from the start. I saw you guys post it. I loved it. You know, This was the van I wanted. And we, so we spent about three hours just walking around the van, showing him every single thing that he did. Um, and like, it was very overbuilt. You know, we were trying to build a spaceship for some yeah. reason, which at well, the end. Well, I think you have, like, you have a background in construction and like building things. And, and, so, and, and you watched all these YouTube videos, you know, so it's kind of like. You're already like ready to build something amazing, and then you get all these ideas about like what you need in a van from watching things on the internet. And not only those things, but on top of that, like what you and Maddie actually are thinking of in your head of like what you can't split ways with. But then when you start living van life, you realize that some of the stuff you just have to. And that's the other thing is we have we had never stepped foot into a van, into a class B, into a self-converted van at all before we stepped into ours. So we had no clue, you know, what true van life was. And like we had electronic door locks. So we had these magnets that you could turn on that would lock the doors all closed. Like the cabinets. The cabinets when you took off. What? Uh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely cool and handy, but like also at the same time, something else that could break. Something that could go wrong. <laughs> and it took me like two weeks to install all of them. Yeah. You got to like wire every single magnet in your whole house. Yep. And they're, you know, big and clunky and they just don't. Oh my God. Um, we also had like heated floor, mm -hmm. uh, an actual carbon filament mat. Uh, that I would say is pretty awesome because when it was cold out to turn it on and have a nice warm floor. What is that carbon filament mat? Cause I heard a lot about like these glycol loops and things like that. But so what's the mat? Yeah. So most, most of the time you heated floor is done by liquid. It's a little more efficient than doing it with electricity, mm -hmm. but, um, van life tech and all that stuff was still pretty new back then. And I was not, I didn't have 15 grand to spend on a heated floor. Yeah. So we went to Menards, the mm -hmm. Home Depot of the North. Mm -hmm. Shout out. Shout out to Menards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and we bought this. It's just essentially this really thin plastic mat that has this black stuff in there that's carbon. And then it has just thin wire. It looks kind of like a solar panel. Okay. And that has electricity runs through it and it'll heat up. So then it actually doesn't pull too much power. To heat the floor up and keep it constant uh, is about 20, 20 amps per hour. So 
you know, depending I mean, on... yeah, if you have a fairly decent-sized battery bank, then you could have heated floors all the time. Yes. And depending on how much you're driving to charge your battery bank in the wintertime, because that's when you'd be using it, you could have heated floors. Exactly. And, and you know, two hours in the morning, two hours at night, mm-hmm. you're not in the van during the day. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, even just like that crispiness in the morning, you know, when you step out of bed. Our first van was worse because we had... Um, what was the laminate. laminate flooring and that just holds on to the cold or heat either one yeah so like you would get out of bed and it would be frozen you'd have to like put like socks and slippers on before you jumped out of bed in the yeah, morning we actually had a rug that was on our floor at all times uh for the winter time so that mm-hmm. way it could compete with the cold underneath it but that sounds really cool i want yeah. that frank put it on the list <laughs> for the next one i think this time around we did a little bit better in the sense we have um we have cork. Uh, cork underlayment, and then we also have uh, cork flooring. So, like the underneath of the the flooring is cork as well, and it's just those uh, uh, you know the tap together tile uh, boards, and so that actually rejects heat and cold. So it will keep your temperature of your floor rele- relevant for what the temperature is outside. Yeah, and it doesn't have that thermal bridging effect to where when the metal's super cold, it's going to create what's ever on top of it super cold. Super cold, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it like, kind of rejects that instead. Yeah, of course, it still gets cold in the wintertime, but it's bearable. Like, we could walk on the floor with no, no socks on. We're like, oh, if it's like negatives, like negative 10, negative 20, then we're like, all right, the floor's a little cold. <laughs> but when it's not, and it's like in the 30s, we can walk on the floor, no problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your van is over-engineered, and you're with a friend, and you're showing them the van. Yep, so it took us three hours to show them every doohickey and everything, and and that was at my time when I'm like, wow, there's a little too much going on here to where, you know, you would never use half of this stuff, and so we showed it to him. He truly loved it, and then before we left, he's like, hey, I want to show you guys something. Would you follow me, and we can go up and, and see this cool spot? And Maddie listens to all the crime junkie podcasts and the true crime. She's stuff. like, I'm going to get murdered. And no, I was like, I'm getting murdered. Like, <laughs> like this ain't going to be good. Uh, so he takes us up and we can look over Cooley Dam. Nice. It's the third biggest dam in the U.S., I believe. Um, and and then he, you know, tells the heart-wrenching story about how his, he was Native American, how his people fished the valley for the last three, four hundred years and that when they put the dam in, it you know killed the fish, killed yeah. the salmon and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh wow, you really ruined the picturesque moment up here at the top. Yeah. But it does open your eyes of what that stuff actually truly does to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, our biggest issue now is we have no van, we have no home, we have three dogs. How do we get home? Did he buy it? Yep, he bought it. Okay. Yep, he bought it. So you drive all the way up to Washington, sell your van, and now you're like homeless. <laughs> Yeah, so we got a Chevy Express van from a dealership, and it was, you know, super cheap, it was big, spacious, and then uh, we ran into the issue of, it was a passenger van, so it had the rows of seats. When you don't have a physical garbage can somewhere that can fit a seat, where do you put them? Yeah, and, I, and I didn't ask the dealership to take them out, which I should have. Mm-hmm. So we got in this van, we threw all our you know five bags and the three dogs in there, and we take off. And I was like, oh, let's go to Walmart, buy a mattress, and put it in the back of this thing. And then I look in the back, and there's a bunch of seats. And they're going, no. I'm like, oh, God. So then, uh, <laughs> so then we're like, what do we do? 
So now we're driving around with a big box mattress and all the seats in and it's getting late and I'm like, this is not going well. So then we found this place that was like, you know, residential or residence dumping only and it was uh-huh. a bunch of big trash cans. So grab the seat, yank it out of the van real quick, put it in the dumpster, you know, throw the other one in there. Take um, off. Yeah, I sorry, I forget what little town it was, but uh, it wasn't good. We took off, and that was like the most illegal thing I've done in quite some time. And I felt bad, but and, you know, at least you're, you're okay to admit it, you know. And it's a part, of, it's a growing experience. Yeah, to uh, yeah to to figure out when you pick up a van with seats, take them out. Yeah, or get them taken out have first. Taken out. So we got the van in, and then we uh, drove over to see Maddie's family because. You know, it, from Washington, we're closer to North Dakota than Arizona. So then we uh, we drove over there, surprised them, say hi, and then we were actually grabbing uh, some of the stuff that we left there uh, from our past life. And then on our way down to North Dakota, we're sitting there, you know, I want to say it's 2,600 miles. So we had a lot to talk about. Or a lot of time to talk about things. Mm-hmm. And what were we doing with this van? Like, what are we going to do? I was like, well, we, let's turn it into a camper. If you're enjoying all the information that you're getting on this podcast, you're going to love our van life book. This book is going to take you from thinking and dreaming about van life to buying your rig, building it out, and everything that you need to know about being on the road, living van life full time. If you want to pick it up, it's available as a Kindle download on Amazon, and we would so appreciate your support. Link in the description below. And let's see if, you know, somebody would be interested in buying it, or we'll just have a cool camper to keep around and use on the weekends or stuff, or, you know, until something else comes up. So then we started converting the first camper. Uh, Backtrack a little bit. We bought a little piece of land down here in Wickenburg, a dirt lot uh, that we're like, oh, we can build a house on it. It'll be easy. 13 months now, we still don't have building permits. Uh, Phoenix and Maricopa County is the worst place to build a house ever. Uh, if you're a homeowner, never do it. Hire somebody. Do you, uh, like, you've submitted your, like, drawings and stuff? and six, it's just Six times. What do you mean? They just keep denying it? Yep, they'll come back with revisions that have to be made, and then the professionals, like the architect, the, the grading and drainage engineers, those types of people who are supposed to be professionals at their job will supposedly fix the issue. You'll resubmit it. Resubmit it, and then a revision comes back like, hey, no, this doesn't work. You know, you got to do this. And oh, my yeah, goodness. The, the, the hoops that you have to jump through to, like, build your own house in these places are just so horrible. Like, that's one of the big reasons why Alex and I think about possibly getting land in, like, Alaska and places where there's, like, less build restrictions. That way we can basically just put up anything you know, obviously... You don't want it to fall down on you in the middle of the night. It would be the code to a certain extent of certain things, but you should be able to kind of build what you want, and uh, as long as you have the know-how and the, you know, I'm going to do it correctly. And that's, don't pick, like, one of the fastest-growing counties in America. Mm, yeah. Because uh, then you put your permits in, and you're behind 500 other people who already put their permits in front of you. Yeah. And is, that, is Wickenburg that fastly growing at the or moment? Phoenix, or Phoenix, I guess. Phoenix. Yep. So, so the funny thing is, is if we were to be about a mile closer to, towards town, we would actually have to deal with Wickenburg and the town for the building permit and everything because we'd be in the uh, municipality of Wickenburg. 
we made the mistake, and we are in Maricopa County. So we're in the huge county of Phoenix and Casa Grande, Wickenburg, all all that Buckeye. So they oversee all that. Uh-huh. So they're pushing through thousands of permits per month and stuff like that, as well as, yes, they do have to have tight restrictions because if you ever drive up to the Grand Canyon and see what's north of Flagstaff there on the flatland, like all the trailers and the yeah. tiny homes and how there's no restrictions up there, uh-huh. you know, Things, things like that can happen, sure. and then it becomes an issue. But so we've been trying to build a house on the, on this dirt lot, and we need time to, or we need something to fill the time gap between getting our permits and stuff, which we thought would be like a couple months. So then we got the Chevy Express, we came up with a game plan, we converted it into the Silver Bullet that we called it because it was silver. Um, got it all converted. You want to get some nah, yeah, it's fine. I can wait. Uh, got it all converted, and the thing actually sold before it was completed. Wow. Um, because I was noticing the... When was it? This was about uh, early... March 21, uh, 2021. And I was noticing the big ramp up of van life and just the self-conversions and stuff in general. Um so then I posted it for sale even before it was done, and a CEO of a nonprofit from Washington, D.C. Uh, bought it. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to be a couple weeks till it's completed, and then, you know, we can figure out how to get it to you. So we completed it, and then another thing that we found out was the logistics of selling vehicles across the country to where if we hired a transport company, they were a couple months out and a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was already a stressful couple months getting the property and building the van, so we needed another road trip. So this was the first time I actually saw the East Coast. We drove all the way over to D.C. and dropped this van off to this lady. And then this was the first time I was kind of experiencing van life and the types of people that are doing it now is just not the, you know, hippie kids down by the river that the media kind of portrays it at, but people who just want to get out, you know, be in the outdoors, stuff like that. This lady was a CEO of a nonprofit. She owned probably a $2 million, I don't know, like tall, like three-story skinny house. Like I don't a townhouse know. Yeah. kind of thing. Like a brownstone yeah. or something. Okay. New York would be called. Yeah. Um, and just super nice, super nice house. She drove a Mercedes, yeah. which was crazy. And then she's buying this van. And I spent more time with her trying to explain the simple systems that we put in that mm-hmm. van than to the kid with our van. You know, she didn't know, you know, how solar worked or what a battery did and stuff like that. So I was standing there explaining all that for four or five hours. And then we had to get another van to get home. So we, you know, had luck with the Chevy Express. We bought another one. Drove it all the way back, and then things just slowly escalated from there. We started doing a Chevy Express here and there, and then we started doing more transits and things like that, bigger builds. Now, keep in mind, this was all on our dirt lot. So here in Wickenburg, it's a pretty small town, and there's not a lot of growth, so there's not a lot of commercial rental space or shops and stuff like that. Uh, So we were on our dirt lot building these vans under like pop-up blue canopies and out of a 20-foot shipping container, as well as we don't have power out there, so this was all off solar power. Wow. Uh, So we had a big solar power uh, battery bank inside of our uh, 
fifth wheel that we could plug the saws into and run sanders and things like that. Uh, so for the first six months, we were the greenest van building company <laughs> to ever exist. <laughs> right. I, I, awesome. don't, I don't think anybody can take that from us. No, no, that's for sure. That's, uh, that's actually a pretty cool feat. So, and this was through the summer of Arizona. So this was, you know, 115 degree days. No air conditioning. But I will say it's unlimited power for the most part. <laughs> it is. Well, but the bad thing, though, is if it would rain, like, let's say at 3 o'clock, the day before you couldn't run the table saw till about noon because you had to have enough power in the batteries to Mm -hmm. to run the table saw so there's some trade-offs and stuff like that but so yeah we started building vans and then uh things started ramping up to where we started building two vans at a time and stuff like that and we started hiring more people on and the whole thing behind this why we even started doing this was to be able to build custom vans for people at not $150,000 price ranges. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were building our first Chevy Expresses for $12,000, $15,000 fully loaded for people. Um, and they loved them. It's what they exactly needed. They don't need this big fancy sprinter van. And, you know, they go out and enjoy it on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, now we are in a 6,000 square foot shop with an office building, air conditioning, and we are working on right now eight projects. So it has es- escalated quite quickly and the, there's, I don't think there's no stopping here at all. Yeah. Yeah. So and what you guys have put together from what we could see has been very wonderful for us even coming in and doing like our little DIY cabinet that we want to replace and, and change out. And you guys allow us to come to the space and do so. Um, I know that this might be an endeavor that you might look into and get some more people out here to, you know, if they're looking to build their own stuff. Don't know where that's quite at yet. Um, you guys can definitely reach out to them. Links will be in the description below for all that stuff. But with that being said, um, you know, also, since you are ramping up production and you are, you know, getting more like busier, if there are people out there listening that are like handymen or construction workers or have built their vans themselves, are you interested in, in them, you know, possibly reaching out and contacting uh, you guys as well? Yeah. So a couple things is with this new bigger space, we do have room now to help out travelers and DIYers that don't have the workshop or the tools to be able to fix their cabinet, or even build their first van. Um, That's one thing that we found out is a lot of people want to get into this, and a lot of people are doing it with the DIY mindset, which is great. You learn, you know, a handful of new skills, as well as you know exactly how the thing works, as well as it makes you a better person because you can take those skills, you know, through your whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, uh, you can reach out, guys. we got some DIY spots, as well as we have some uh, experienced builders here. Uh, that can help you out throughout your build. Uh, the other thing is, yes, so we are in Wickenburg. We're outside of Phoenix. It's a little bit of a smaller community, but the one thing that hurts is finding uh, labor out here as well as people that are kind of in our mindset of being creative and hardworking. Even if somebody's looking for a couple months or a term kind of contract or uh, just wants to help out for a couple weeks, we can definitely work something out. Yeah, I feel like the nice thing about it is that you do understand the van life mentality and like a lot of people, you know, who are in van life, who've built their own rigs and understand solar and like, you know, 
I feel like regular builders, like when you were building million dollar houses with your construction company, you probably never put in a solar system and you yeah. never put in like a foot pump water, you know, tap. And I think you, even in those places, you need like a constant on-site crew of like the same people where this is like an ever evolving industry and business. And there's a lot of people that are on the road that have all the skills. They just don't know where to go to be able to utilize those skills and get paid for them. So it might be a great opportunity for you guys out there listening who have the skills and the know-how to possibly have a work exchange relationship with companies like Carefree Camper. And if there are other companies out there, this might be a whole new thing that we could create in itself. And just like being able to like work for a couple of months. Because I think van lifers don't really love the idea of being like tied down to one spot. Like that's kind of why we got into the lifestyle to begin with. But also you need money to be able to travel and things like that. So, you know, if you could come here, work for like a month or so, and then head out on your next adventure, you know, what's the harm in that? I will say, just know when you pull up in your van, they're going to look inside your van. They're going to be like, can this guy actually do this job? <laughs> yeah. Well, and... and- one of the big things we're seeing too is with the DIY van movement, you will deal with the DIY part of it. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, some DIY builds are better than others. And a big thing that we've noticing now is a lot of second owners of these vans are needing work done on them and stuff like that. So that's when, you know, somebody who knows exactly what they're doing with solar and who wants, you know, uh, a job for a couple months can help us out with you know, fixing other people's stuff and straightening it out and getting them back on the road. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think we've heard that a couple of times. Like when a first time van builder builds a van with no experience, there's going to be mistakes, right? There's going to be things that aren't as efficient as they could be or, you know, aren't wired right or whatever. But then they sell that van to someone else because they know that there's problems in it and then start on build number two with like the, you know, 2.0 knowledge that they have. Mm-hmm. Now someone else is stuck cleaning up your mistake and I think you have at least one van in here that's like you know you said you'd had to kind of like tear the whole thing apart basically because it was you know it looks pretty but it might not be pretty behind the walls oh yeah well and a big thing of safety too is is the one thing now is there's not a real set of codes for building these things but there should be a standard out there. Mm-hmm. And we got to make sure the most important part is the electrical system. That's where big issues can happen with a fire mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which nobody wants that inside their house. So that's where, you know, we come in, we try and help out, clean it up a little bit and, you know, get it to where they need to. Because also that, you know, the buyer, the second time buyer is still a learning process. This is their first van. They don't know what they want. Um, and that's what I tell people a lot of the time is you don't have to go all out, learn from my mistakes. Do not go all out with a forty, fifty thousand dollars build and, you know, spend all your life savings on this thing because you think it's an awesome idea and it's going to be a great van when it turns out, you know, you've never done this before and you need to learn from it. So start out small. That's why I think Chevy Expresses are so big for us is because it's a very good entry-level type van to where they can use it on the weekends and stuff like that, grow from it, and then move on to, uh, you know, your Ford Transit, a full-time type living situation or something like that. Yeah, 100% agree. I think it's great to have the, like, simplistic mindset because every extra thing that you put into a van is something else that could break while you're going down the road. You are 
putting your vehicle through an earthquake every single day by just driving it down these bumpy roads. So things are going to break. They're going to fall apart over time unless it's built just right. And even the things that are built just right might fall apart too. So, you know, there's a learning curve when it comes to van life. And I will also say about that first time builder, what tends to happen too, it's like uh, if you bought a home, a stationary home, and you moved into it after a builder was done uh, building it, it might not be exactly what you want, and you might change something inside that home. It's the same thing with a van. You don't live exactly the same way that the next person does. So there'll be something over time that you're going to want to change. And having the shops like Carefree Camper to be able to come in and just do one small project and you know be able to get in and out really quick, I, I think it's a, a perfect opportunity for a lot of people and an opportunity for Carefree Camper to help out as many people as they can. All right, so let's like wrap this up, put a nail in it. Um, if you had some advice, Blackhawk, for a first-time van builder, somebody who's super jazzed up about van life, they're ready to get into it, um, what would your advice be to somebody who's starting on that journey? I think the biggest thing is why van life itself is getting so big is I think it's the custom personalities that can be put into these vans because, you know... Yes, RVing industry and everything's getting bigger, but there's a reason why we didn't go buy an RV and go and travel in it. You wanted to put your personality on it. You wanted it to work for you. So if somebody's thinking about building vans, the biggest thing I tell them is, you know, find somebody who wants that van built and then listen to them and, you know, make those needs. I've tried to build, you know, spec type vans that, you know, could be, could make a lot of people happy. And at the end of the day, it doesn't make a lot of people happy because everybody wants to change this or change that or they want more water, they want less water. So I think right now is making, you know, the people that want these custom bands, making them truly custom for them and fitting their needs. But uh, as well as it's just a really fun aspect. I came from the construction world of building squares and to be able to come in and build these elaborate you know, tiny homes on wheels that can do, you know, as much or even more than a 2,000 square foot house, as well as you can park it in front of the Tetons one week and by the Pacific Ocean the next is just mind-blowing. Yeah, <laughs> the same exact word. And it really is mind-blowing. It's truly amazing. I think that the aspect of just even how much money and how much carbon we save by living the way that we do, um, because... I mean, we have free energy from the sun. Um, if it's summertime, we literally never have to plug in or run our DC to DC charger. And that's only with, you know, 380 watts of solar on our roof. And we're content creators. We're people that have to kind of stay plugged in. So to be able to say that we don't need anything other than solar to be able to make our lifestyle and, and, and live, um, it says a lot for how much power we could bring in from the sun and be able to store. We only have a 300 amp hour battery bank, so you don't need a lot. Like, stop overthinking it. You know, technology's becoming better. And yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful that we had this opportunity to sit down with you, Blackhawk, and be able to give everybody another opinion and opportunity to realize that this lifestyle is something that they could do for themselves if they're willing to, you know, make that leap, get uncomfortable for a little bit to be comfortable later on. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you all have an F&A day.
make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel, FNA Van Life. Over oh, all that.